0: If somebody told you on New Year's Day 2020 how much the world was going to change, you probably wouldn't have believed them. Suppose you had known. What would you have done differently? How would you have prepared?
1: And then what if you had even more time to prepare, like three years, what action would you have taken? Would you have moved somewhere different, applied for different jobs, developed different skills? Would you have warned your friends? Do you think they'd even have believed you?
0: We can now only look back at these hypotheticals and wonder what we could have done. But here's the thing, there's another crisis heading our way. A crisis that is sure to be worse than COVID-19. It's the climate crisis. But we still have time to take action and as a result live happier, healthier and fairer lives. So the question isn't what should we have done, it's what will we do now and how can we use our experience of COVID as a wake up call to take real action.
1: Welcome to the Covid Alarm Clock.
0: Hi everybody, my name is Ellen Hagerty
1: and I'm Dara Wynn.
0: And you are tuned into the Covid Alarm Clock, the podcast that takes lessons from the Covid pandemic and applies them to impending climate crisis.
1: We are two friends who met while doing a masters on climate change in DCU and we both share a passion for the natural world.
0: Our aim is to discuss, consider and draw conclusions from humanity's experience this past year in an effort to help wake us all up to the impending effects of climate change.
1: We're recording this podcast remotely from our respective houses in Dublin, Ireland on the 16th of January 2021. And this episode is focused around the topic of science. And Ellen, you love a bit of science, don't you?
0: Sarah, I, loves me a bit of science. <laughs> so, yeah, sure, like my degree, my degree, I'm a vet of a uh, Bachelor of Veterinary Medicine. So yeah, like science, science is my bread and butter. And that's why, like, I just think how important, I see how important science has been in developing our understanding of COVID and how to deal with COVID. And I I just, yeah, it's it's really interesting for me.
1: Yeah, 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 it is really, really interesting.
0: And I suppose we know from COVID the importance of science in developing our understanding of COVID and the measures that we have to take in order to deal with COVID.
1: Absolutely. So like all the actions that we've taken now to prevent COVID, especially the personal ones like mask wearing, social distancing, hand hygiene, they're all considered common sense at this stage. But actually, the reason we know they're the right thing to do is because of science. So we had a huge body of scientific knowledge on other viruses pre-COVID that we were able to apply to this crisis.
0: Yeah. And not only that, Dara, but like we were able to kind of see how science evolves all through the pandemic. And we got a real understanding of how science works. We were able to look at, you know, how you have to develop knowledge. You have to look at evidence. You have to analyse that evidence to see what works and what doesn't work. And, you know, at the start of the pandemic, we didn't know everything about the virus. And you were saying there, like about masks, we were were told not to wear masks at the beginning of the pandemic. But then from like international experience and actual scientific um, data analysis, we were able to see that masks were going to keep us safe, that they would be effective in fighting the spread of the virus. And Now, like you say yourself, it's like, you'd be crazy not to wear one. You know, it's just total common sense and normal to wear a mask now. But that came about, that common sense came about, or that norm came about due to a developing of understanding through science. So science gave us this.
1: Yeah, completely. And I suppose similarly to that, we've seen how science is then communicated and how scientists communicate. So like, as we're recording this most scientists still are not saying for certain whether the vaccines stop transmission of the virus. So it probably does. And lots of lay people and radio presenters are saying that it does. And the early evidence is good that it does. But scientists are holding off on saying that definitively until the evidence clearly shows that. And developing that evidence takes time.
0: Yeah, like there are scientists are a cautious bunch of people, you know, like they, they're really loath often to make guarantees because, you know, absolutes, there are never necessarily a lot of absolutes in science. And we, we see that it's, it's actually a problem when we're trying to communicate the severity of climate change. And it's because scientists don't just come out and almost, you know, quote facts. In, in kind of really certain language. Scientists use uncertain language. You, you'll hear, th- like when we're talking about the vaccines, like you said, lay people and presenters come out and say vaccines work. But you'll hear a scientist say something like, it's very likely that vaccines significantly reduce transmission of the virus. Like, that means that, yeah, it's probably going to work really, really well. But the scientists, they can't say for absolute certain that it will because there's always you know, curveballs, there's always things, you know, reasons why it might not work or or situations where it mightn't work or situations where there weren't scientific analysis carried out. Um, And like with climate change going back years, scientists might have said something like, the planet has warmed by, this is my science voice, the planet has warmed by over a degree Celsius in the last 200 years. And it's very likely that it is a result of human-caused greenhouse gas emissions.
1: Yeah. So that statement doesn't mean or best guess is that it's man-made and we're not really sure, that statement means all the evidence we have points in that direction. So like you said about curveballs, there could be some unknown phenomenon causing it in the planetary system or even our solar system, but it's probably man-made. And as we've said, science is a process, and over the last 30 years, more and more evidence has been gathered. And at this stage, it's totally indisputable that climate change is happening and that it's man-made.
0: 100% Dara, and I'm just going to repeat that. It is totally indisputable at this stage that climate change is due to humanity, due to actions of men. But the other thing that you were saying, like, it's really important to understand the science because if we can understand the problem, we can come about looking to create a solution. And The other thing is that's really important to understand is how people communicate the problem as well. Um, And that actually, that is is something I think that science has failed at in, you know, over the last 30 to 50 years, communicating how important it is that we tackle this. So in this episode, we're going to actually draw parallels between the science of COVID and climate science to deepen our understanding.
1: So the first parallel we're going to draw is just really on what we mean by the term COVID and what we mean by the terms climate change. So Ellen, when you think of COVID, do you just think of a little tiny virus or what do you think of?
0: No, actually, I don't ever really think of the virus at all. What I think of is wearing masks. I think of not having seen my parents, you know, for months. I think of my children not being allowed to play with their friends. I think of schools being shut down. I think of not being able to use public transport. I think of trying to make sure all the windows are open in my own place of work. So everyone has to go around wearing hats and coats all the time. Yeah, I think of the impacts of COVID as opposed to the virus of COVID.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a common experience for everybody. So unfortunately, some people's experience has been direct... Um, contact with the virus and it has changed their lives through bereavement Um, but for a lot of people through
0: long COVID as well and long COVID which
1: are obviously huge and tragic problems but for lots of people it's been the indirect contact with COVID it's been those changes in society that when people think of COVID that's the first thing that springs to mind Which leads me to the second question. Ellen, when you think of climate change, do you think is the first thing that springs to your mind, the weather getting warmer and the weather changing a little bit?
0: Absolutely. When I think of climate change, I think of, you know, the increase of extreme weather events. I think of flooding. I think of you know, crop failure, I think of food insecurity, I think of sea level rise, I think of, you know, ice melts at the poles, I think of um extreme heat at the poles, I think of impacts on our natural world and I think of impacts on our biodiversity and our habitats. I think of imp- yeah. I I could go on, Dara. I, I'll stop. I'll stop there. <laughs>
1: so just just to be uh, just to be clear, if you ever meet Ellen and mention climate change, you're going to send her brain off on a spiral of thought. Um,
0: Dara, when well, my husband will sometimes like if someone has the misfortune, my husband was usually standing behind me with a kind of you know that like swipe across the neck to the people who. Been misfortunate enough. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, with that yeah, stop yeah. talking sign. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. So maybe, so maybe asking you what you think of when you think of climate change wasn't going to get the point I wanted to get across. Someone who's sort of a bit of an expert on climate change doesn't really illustrate my point. But if I asked a regular person on the street what they thought of climate change, what do you think they'd say, Ellen?
0: What would they say? Yeah, they'd probably talk about maybe polar bears, sea level rising, um, maybe weather changes like uh, more storms, hotter summers. And then I'd say what they do is they would promise me that they're doing the recycling.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably, pro- probably, guilt, probably guilt them, Ellen. But I don't <laughs> think those societal changes like you mentioned with COVID would come into it.
0: No, I, I don't think so. I don't think so.
1: The big parallel for me is that climate change, it's not going to be the extreme weather that affects me the most, just like hopefully it's not going to be the virus itself that affects me the most. It's going to be the knock-on effects for society. It's going to be the effects that food security issues might have. It's going to be the effect that maybe droughts in another part of the world or flooding in another part of the world leads to mass climate migration which might lead to political unrest globally there are so many knock-on effects that climate change is going to have it is going to affect our lives in so many ways just like if you have been told in january 2020 "Oh, this virus is going to come along and it's going to change everything in your life from the way you work to the way you socialize it's very hard to believe until it actually happens. Climate change is going to be the same. It's going to affect so many facets of our society in so many ways. So when one, I think one of fact
0: that really um really just stood out to me when I was reading a paper on climate change, you speak about refugees there, Dara. Um if you know, at 1.5 degrees, you know, we'll have millions of refugees. But if we hit a two-degree increase in our average global temperatures, the amount of refugees will be in the hundreds of millions. Hundreds of millions of refugees, hundreds of millions of displaced people. It's just,
1: it's it's, it's unimaginable.
0: It's, it is like it's it's, it it's, is, it's yeah
1: yeah yeah. But that is what the but that is what the science is telling us. Um, that is in terms of the projections, like the way we can project data for COVID of how many cases we'll have in a few weeks' time. We can project what the warming is going to be. What that's going to, how that's going to affect climates in certain parts of the world, or sea level, how many people are going to be displaced as a result. So just like COVID projections might be variable, that we don't know exactly how many cases there will be or how many hospital admissions there will be, we have a ballpark idea.
0: Estimates. We can estimate it.
1: Estimate with, but scientifically, estimate a high degree of yeah, certainty. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah. The climate refugee one is, yeah, it is. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. Really, the first strong parallel we can make is that when you think of COVID, you probably don't think of this virus. You think of the big picture societal impact, and that is a really important way to understand climate change. It's not just changes in our weather; it's changes in so many aspects of our lives.
0: It's societal change. Exactly. It's going to be affect the, the global society. Yeah. Yeah.
1: The second analogy I have to use our experience of COVID to better understand climate change is to sort of take the whole planet as a patient. And let's realize that a teeny tiny virus, the COVID virus, can get into your body and it can overwhelm it and destroy it. So unfortunately, that has happened with a lot of people worldwide. The same thing happens with our planet, that a tiny amount of CO2, a tiny excess of CO2 in our atmosphere can overwhelm the planet and completely transform
0: it. So I think today we're going to talk about CO2, CO2 as the greenhouse gas. But and when we talk about um, carbon, we, we always think about CO2. And that's because it's the, the most abundant of the greenhouse gases. It stays the longest in the atmosphere and it over time it, it causes the most warming. And that's the one we we focus on. But there are other greenhouse gases as well. And sometimes, and we will be referring to these. Um, so there's greenhouse gases like methane. So that's your, your gas and your cow burps. Um, we have NOx, which comes from cars. But just for the sake of this conversation today, we're going to stick to CO2.
1: Like two oxygen atoms stick to a carbon atom to form (laughs) CO2.
0: (laughs) Stick to the day job, Dara. (laughs) There are many ways we can produce CO2. And does it matter? Yes, it, it really, really does. Because CO2... Actually, is released into our atmosphere, and what it does is is it forms this really um, effective layer of insulation around our planet, um, and so that would make you think, well, are, are greenhouse gases then a good or a bad thing? Well, if we didn't have greenhouse gases at all, the planet Earth, the planet we live on, would have an average about of about minus eighteen degrees, because we have this layer of greenhouse gases. Um, around our planet, it insulates the planet so that when the sun shines on the earth um, and generates heat and warms up the earth, we actually keep that heat in using those greenhouse gases. And our planet is at a global average temperature of about 15 degrees, which is perfect. We, We call it the Goldilocks zone. It's not too warm. It's not too cold. It's just right. But what we're doing is we're changing our Goldilocks zone the more CO2 that we are pumping into our atmosphere, it's we're increasing the, the insulation effect on the planet. So that when the sun shines in, um, normally some of that heat that shines in escapes. But as the sun shines in and that layer of insulation thickens up, as we pump more CO2 into the atmosphere, we store more heat um, in the planet and the world starts to warm. And when that happens, we upset our Goldilocks zone. We do things like we break the beds and burn our tongues on the hot (laughs) porridge. Things start to go badly wrong. Uh. (laughs) We actually need CO2. We actually need carbon. Our world is built from carbon. Our plants need CO2 to breathe in order to to grow. Um, But just like anything good, too much of a good thing can actually make you sick. It's bad. So, CO- yeah.
1: CO2 is great. But it's just that thing of it being an imbalance. So too much of it is can be a bad thing. So I suppose rather than COVID, maybe a way to think of it is like potassium in your body. A little bit of potassium is important for, um, I think, heart functioning, but too much potassium can give you a heart attack. A little CO2 in the planet's atmosphere. Lovely. Keeps us nice and warm. Lots of CO2 in the planet's atmosphere. Not good. <laughs> And I think it's really, really important to point out just how small an amount of CO two that we are talking about. So the level of CO two that we had in our atmosphere pre-industrial times, before man-made climate change was an issue, was that would have been about
0: that would have been kind of around the, the beginning of the 1800s. Yeah. That so that's that's it's not that long ago that we started to make these huge changes.
1: That would have been 280 parts per million. So for every million pieces of air in the atmosphere, to be crude about it, only 280 of them were CO2, uh, were carbon dioxide.
0: Sometimes I like to make that into an actual image. So if you think of a million tennis balls and think of a million bright yellow fluorescent tennis balls, um, 250 of those tennis balls, just paint them red in your mind and that's how much co2 we used to have in the atmosphere
1: so when you think of the increase you must think oh sure it must be it must be a few thousand now to be doing this much damage but actually the increase in co2 the currently we are just on 415 parts per million of co2 and it's only a negligible amount of co2 so it's gone from 280 parts per million to 415 parts per million you think "Ah, asher if it's only 400 parts per million compared to 280 it can't possibly make a difference but if you go back to covid it's a tiny virus and you think oh well that can't possibly make a difference but it does we know it does it's the same with co2 and part of the reason is that like our body is a dynamic system and COVID can affect our lung capacity, which then affects our organ functioning and our oxygen levels. There are knock-on effects. So as CO2 traps some of the heat and it warms the planet, then the air becomes warmer and can hold more water vapor. And then the water vapor causes even more warming. So that warms the planet further. And there are lots of other knock on effects like that. Like, as the ocean warms, sea ice melts, and ice is really good at reflecting the sun's heat back out into space. But as the ice melts, it's replaced by darker water, which absorbs even more of the heat. So, why? And if you think
0: about it, if you think about it just in terms of CO2, it's pretty much a 50% increase in total CO2 in the atmosphere. Yeah. So that's which actually yeah. is a dramatic increase. Yeah, yeah. When you think about it in terms of CO2 as opposed to in terms of this parts per million
1: yeah, yeah, number. Yeah. yeah. So if you think of if you had a toxin in your blood, like a 50% yeah. increase, that that, that, that could make a very big difference. <laughs> or
0: arsenic. <laughs> like and a 50% increase is huge. Because imagine if we had a 50% increase in the R number or a 50% increase in close contacts. Um, like there's so there's small numbers, you know, like an R number can be under one or under two. Um so they're small numbers to begin with, but an increase by of fifty percent in those numbers are in the close contacts, and we are suddenly in a big load of trouble, Dara. Big load of trouble.
1: The next analogy I have is that like most of our bodies can cope with COVID. But for some people, it affects them much, much worse due to underlying conditions. And to sort of maintain the metaphor of planet Earth as a patient, if planet Earth was a uh, patient and warming was the disease that it had, it would be incredibly vulnerable because of its underlying conditions. Yeah, what are the other sort of underlying conditions? What are the other problems that have affected the planet that make it hard to deal with the warming?
0: Oh, Dara, like, there's just, there's too many to mention. Like, our forests are this amazing carbon sink. And what they do is they essentially suck CO2 out of the atmosphere. But we've cut so many of them down. And that's an ecosystem that could really, really help us to cope with the extra CO2 by absorbing some of it. But we've We've cut them down. (laughs) And like I mentioned as well, the ocean has is absorbing CO2. Um, like it's nearly turning into a fizzy drink at this stage. But the the CO2, like so that ocean acidification, yeah, so that's really bad. That is really bad for our coral reefs and our crustaceans that live in the ocean. But at some point, we are going to get to the stage where the ocean can't hold any more CO2. And if we're still pumping out CO2 emissions, um, that's just going to mean even more CO2 is going to go into the atmosphere. It's actually going to increase the rate of atmospheric CO2 or increase the level of atmospheric CO2, which Ye- is really not good.
1: Yeah, and then what's also what's also not good is, as well as a healthy planet coping with the increase of CO2 levels, actually, Ellen, what we see is if ecosystems are healthy, they'd be able to help us cope with the extreme weather that climate change is going to bring. So, Ireland's a wet country, and parts of it are going to get even wetter with climate change, going back to the atmosphere containing more water vapour. And some of that rain is going to be in the form of really heavy downpours. So, our bogs, when they are in their natural, pristine form, are like sponges, and they can absorb loads of that water, and I suppose native forests would be the same, but... We've degraded the bogs, we've planted non-native forests on them and sometimes extracted peat.
0: Yeah. And like Darrow, like we're seeing the impacts. Um I'll never forget earlier this year, watching trees literally slide off hillsides and mountains in the northwest of Ireland, like landslides. And they that was as you've just said, they're due to um bogs that have become so degraded, they can't act like sponges anymore. And when you just wet them too much, then they just chunks of them slide off down the hillside um after really heavy rains, after after nights or days of really heavy rains.
1: Yeah. And then you see it as well. We saw it like with flash flooding in Clifton in County Galway in September 2020 if the river and surrounding ecosystems are damaged, or if we build on floodplains, loads of water can quickly rush downstream and cause floods rather than being absorbed upstream and released more slowly. And I suppose, like we've seen, there are some really successful cases in the UK where natural flood defences built upstream or developed upstream have stopped flooding of towns downstream. So if you like what they are doing is they're actually treating those underlying conditions and that's helping them to cope with the impacts of climate change.
0: Dara, like nature loves balance. Nature loves everything to be balanced. But with every action we take where we are degrading our natural world, we're taking away every kind of trick in the pack that nature has in order to achieve this balance. And so we're getting much more extreme swings and tilts in nature as a result of the harm we've done, as a result of us making Earth a, a vulnerable patient.
1: So <laughs> here, here comes a bit of positivity, probably some, <laughs> some well overdue positivity and it's a difference between the COVID situation and the climate situation, is that when COVID hit in February, March 2020, the science was still evolving and we didn't know all of the solutions. So like that thing with mask wearing, we didn't know for sure. And if we'd known now, we could have gone back and been wearing masks in February and, you know, avoided so much stress. The positivity is that we know all of the climate solutions. We know how to restore habitats so that they are resilient in the face of changing weather patterns. We know how to reduce our emissions to make sure that warming stops um, at the safest level possible. We just have to do them. (laughs) And that is obviously a bigger challenge than just saying it. And another really
0: important thing to say there, Dara, is that we know that modelling works. You know, there's always this question mark, oh, are the scientists right? Is the modelling right? Um, So number one, when we take models regarding climate change and we kind of, we backdate them, if we take the data from the 60s or the 70s and make predictions and overlay that on what's actually happened, we can see that the models work. And every day in this country, we can see that the modelling for COVID also works. So we know we know that what's predicted is is true and correct and factual um and i think that's important to say because sometimes i think you can say oh well sure look it might never happen but mm. science tells us no it is going to happen
1: yeah we we had a we had a ridiculous situation in ireland there sort of from december to january we're recording this in mid january 2021 where The government didn't follow the scientific advice and they decided to do a bigger reopening than was advisable for Christmas. And things have gone... Things got really out of hand to the point where prior to December, our highest number of cases was 1,300 per day. And we're now at over 3,000 cases a day with like 9,000 cases on one day. (laughs) And afterwards lots of people were saying well nobody predicted this (laughs) it's like well they predicted that it was going to get bad like you know it's that thing of they said it was going to get worse and you were like oh we can deal with that much we can deal with getting that much worse so we're going to not listen to you and then it got really out of hand and they were like oh well if we'd known that You can't know everything exactly, but if someone's telling you things are going to get worse, (laughs) it's worth listening to them. And that's sadly relevant to climate change. Sadly relevant.
0: Such a brilliant point because the modelling with climate change is based on what we know. What they haven't included in the modelling is kind of these unknown things that can happen, like feedback loops, like what happens if the permafrost all thaws and releases out like vast amounts of methane very quickly that isn't counted in the modelling. So that's a bit like our Christmas where we didn't realize it was going to get that bad. That could happen with clim- that could happen with climate change as <laughs> yeah. well, you know. So
1: so to explain what feedback loops are, that's basically when the emissions that are causing warming sort of falls out of our control. So rather than man made emissions. It's like what Ellen said about permafrost thawing, that as the world heats up, parts of the land masses in the northern hemisphere near the north pole that have stored huge amounts of methane start to thaw and as they do that methane is released which causes more warming and as more warming occurs more permafrost melts causing more methane to be released and it's this feedback loop and the same thing can happen with forests becoming desertified or with forest fires as the world warms, forests go on fire. As the fires burn, more emissions are released. As the emissions are released, the world warms, and as the world warms, more forests burn. It's it's that issue of there being some unknowns. Like, we know what the solutions are to stop COVID, and we know the solutions to stop climate change, but there are some unknowns. Like, you can't predict how every person in Ireland is going to behave during the pandemic, And we can't predict how every single aspect of the planet is going to react to climatic changes and at what point exactly they're going to react.
0: Yeah. I said earlier that the world is sitting at about 15 degrees average temperature, global average temperature at the moment. But before we started sending greenhouse gases into our atmosphere at, you know, at the rate um, we started with industrialization, our global average temperature was about 14 degrees. So we have actually warmed the world in excess of one degree um, up to now. Now and that doesn't is.
1: seem like much. Okay, so let's use, let's think about it. if you were thinking, oh, common sense, asher one degree, that doesn't make nice much hot of a difference. Day there at all. Now.
0: Great. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so it's <laughs> so it's
1: going to be so it's going to be 19 degrees instead of 20 or instead of 18. Great. But let's not think of it in those terms. Let's think if your body increased by one degree. And we're talking in Celsius here for all our American listeners. Um one degree Celsius, you would go from 37 degrees to 38 degrees. If that happened, you'd have to go for a COVID test because you'd have a fever and you'd be feeling terrible.
0: Be feeling grim.
1: So the average global surface temperature is colder than the average temperature of a person. And if you think of what one degree of warming does to a person, well, then obviously one degree of warming to the planet, because the planet's this dynamic system with lots of moving parts, just like our body, is going to have a big, big impact.
0: So Dara, like you hear from, you know, people who, who maybe are a little bit anti this whole climate change movement. People will say the planet has warmed before. What would you say to that?
1: I would say it definitely has warmed before. Yeah, you're dead right. Um, <laughs> It has. Yeah, it totally has. The planet has warmed before and there have been loads of mass extinctions before. Like, so it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a false equivalence. So to take it to COVID terms, we've had viruses like this before. You know, people say that, Asher, it's just another flu. It's like, yeah, we have had, we have had viruses before. We have had pandemics before. And guess what? Loads of people died. Um, so we have never had a global pandemic in this globally connected world, where we are seeing different strains of a virus being imported into other countries from all over yeah. the world. Where we're seeing where we basically eradicated the virus in Ireland, and then in June twenty twenty, and then from foreign travel, it is revived again rapidly. So yes, we have seen warming before but over a much, much, much slower timescale than we were seeing.
0: That's what's really interesting about the graph, Dara, the graph of CO2 in parts per million in the atmosphere. Um, yeah. I think we all understand the meaning of exponential growth now. Anyone who's watched any news at all since last January, since January of 2020, will understand the meaning of exponential. It's where a graph just shoots off up in, uh, in a vertical direction. And um, and that's what's happening with CO2 in our atmosphere.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, well, exponential growth isn't even quite right because that starts off slowly and builds and builds and builds more rapidly, but in geological terms, we've basically just gone from 0 to 60 in an instant.
0: Which has never, you know, which is unprecedented if you look back at CO2 in the atmosphere before, it's never just shot off up in a vertical direction like this.
1: Yeah. So we have had warming before. And the world has, you know, changed irreversibly. We have even had massive climatic changes. but So that warming didn't happen when people existed.
0: It was pre-humanity.
1: Pre-humanity. Then we have had climatic changes, like, say, an ice age that in parts of the world that humanity survived through. But the difference between the human race surviving and our current luxurious modern society (laughs) surviving (laughs) is very different so it's like yeah we have had climate change before but not when you're having your bananas imported from brazil and not when you're having you know your phones being produced in with minerals from maybe 40 or 50 different countries being produced in one country so it's a bit of a false equivalence just like saying oh we've had other pandemics before it's like yeah we have but we've never been in such a strong position to take action and we've never been in such a connected way before that it's affected us so much we have seen planetary warming before but it's never been human induced and and it's never been when we've got this complex society that relies on a stable climate
0: That's really important because a stable climate actually means a stable society. Yes, it does. And like, it's worth noting that the last 10,000 or so years, we have had, like the Goldilocks zone, we have had a stable climate on Earth, the Holocene. That's when we learned to farm. And then, you know, we could stay in the same place. Civilization developed. We then, you know, began to have an understanding of the world you know, there is no way that we could have built our current civilization without a stable climate. There's just, it's just unimaginable. So like, it's a really good idea to mitigate (laughs) and adapt against what's about to come with climate change.
1: Yeah, I'd I'd recommend it anyways, personally.
0: (laughs) Dara, this is positive podcast. We've talked a lot of kind of misery and doom. Bring me some positivity, Dara.
1: No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, I will do Ellen. So um, this is a solutions focused podcast where we try to give the listeners an action that they can do at the end of every episode. But for this one, I'd like to just think a little bit about how us understanding the science of COVID, us understanding how it's transmitted, us understanding the impacts of it getting into the community and vulnerable people getting it, the potential for our hospitals to be overwhelmed, that gives meaning to the actions we're taking. That gives meaning to the hand washing, that gives meaning to the social distancing, that gives meaning to the reducing our contacts and to the wearing masks. So to draw a parallel, us understanding the science of climate change gives meaning to the actions. So, it gives meaning to us cycling, or it gives meaning to us reducing our meat intake, or whatever actions it is that we're doing. So, for me, the action is actually you've already done the action. You've hopefully listened. You hopefully have a better understanding of the science of climate change. And hopefully, that will give more meaning to the climate actions that you are already taking.
0: I love it, Dara. That's brilliant. And I think. Another action is don't stop here. Don't stop here with informing yourself with the science. We've just we've just given you a taster.
1: The science of climate change is incredibly interesting. If it wasn't so terrifying, you know, it's 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 so interesting to learn how the world works. Um, It's amazing, you know, to learn how the different parts interact, to learn how ocean currents affect our climate here. All that kind of stuff is really interesting. But then it also helps you better understand the problem with climate change. Uh, so, absolutely. so yeah, absolutely. Keep on keep on informing yourself with good, good science, uh, good climate science. A couple of
0: really good websites. The NASA website has some excellent, very simple resources on climate science and the BBC Christmas lectures this year. So the two 2020 BBC Christmas lectures were all based around climate change and climate science and how the world works. And yep. in a really like digestible Mm. format as well
1: yeah um one one recommendation i would make is is to listen to something by john gibbons where he kind of will tie the science into the bigger picture societal stuff in a very accessible way so one plug in another podcast here episode one of the climate allies podcast also an irish climate podcast features john gibbons and that's really good for that is
0: ali ali what is ali Ali sheridan ali sheridan yeah so she's great
1: yeah so worth checking that out as well
0: and obviously stay listening to the covid alarm clock podcasts too whoop, whoop.
1: this episode of the covid alarm clock was written and presented by ellen Haggerty and it was produced and edited by robert cotter
0: Please follow us on social media for up to date news on the podcast and the climate crisis. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Covid Alarm Clock.
1: And tune in next week when our episode will be on the subject of politics. And until then, bye 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 bye.